that through the preaching of his word, you will see him. We continue today in our series in Philippians. Today we're verses 12 to 16 of chapter 3. And as you see, as I go on, I hope ringing in your mind might be what Duncan was saying to us last week. We may even see a repeat of Curly. No? Okay, well, you might need to listen to that one again. Duncan's with me anyway. Let's start with the reading of his word. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 to 16. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. This is the word of the Lord. And Father, we ask that you would make it clear to us through the work of your Holy Spirit, who has inspired its writing. Show yourself to us today, we pray. Amen. Now, as someone who's fairly new to North Pine Baptist Church, a question that I'm often asked by people within the church and those outside is, how are you going with your getting to knowing? Now, to be fair, the people who ask me the question have normally got a better grasp of the English language, and so it's more grammatically correct when they ask, but mine sounds catchier, so I'm going to stick with it, if you don't mind. How are you going with your getting to knowing? And such a question makes a very important assumption. It assumes that getting to know people is a process, one that takes time. Not only does it take time, it also takes effort. And it can only really be done in relationship. When the Bible speaks about knowing God, it's in this context of relationship with him. That is how God is known. And sometimes it describes this knowing relationship as things like walking with God. We see that in the Old Testament with people like Enoch, with Noah and with Abraham. And I think that we would agree if that we are truly to know someone, it needs to be done in the context of a relationship. See, getting to know a bank is different. That's all about surface information, about facts and figures, name, date of birth, BSB number. There's no need to enter into a relationship with it. But if our knowledge of Jesus is similar to our knowledge of a bank, we will no doubt treat him like one. Our interactions with him will be conducted in much the same way. 
we'll make some deposits and at times a few withdrawals. But in the end, it'll be okay as long as you keep the account open. If this is how we see, if this is how we know Jesus, if he is more like a banker than a brother to us, then we don't really know him at all. Paul desires for himself and for the Philippian believers that he's writing to an ever-deepening knowledge of God, of their Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. So the question I want to ask you today is how are you going with your getting to knowing? In our passage this morning will have one focus. It'll show us that knowing Jesus requires one way to think, one thing to do, and one path to follow. The one way to think is found in verse 12. But before we go there, I think it's helpful if we quickly remember what was said in verses 10 and 11. And I'm not going to read out everything. I mean, the whole of the start of chapter 3 is helpful for us. But verses 10 and 11 will put us back on track. Paul says, That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul wants to know Jesus better and better, or to go deeper and deeper into relationship with him. Ultimately, this will be being made perfect, standing in the presence, eye to eye, with the almighty God. And this is what Paul says in verse 12, that he has not yet attained He's not there yet. He says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Paul's pretty clear there. He's not yet perfect. He doesn't yet know Jesus as deeply as he can be known. He makes a very humble assessment of himself and his relationship with God. But he also continues this assessment further on in the verse. And the assessment is but that he can get there. He can know Jesus. He says, I can know God because God has made himself known to me. And this is the thinking that gets Paul out of bed in the morning. It's the desire that drives him. The desire for a, the reality of a personal relationship with the creator of the universe found through Jesus Christ. 
One person has put it this way. Paul can seek because he has been found. He can know because he has been known. He can apprehend because he has been apprehended. In a word, Paul sought to lay hold of him who had already laid hold of Paul. My youngest daughter is starting to form a, a habit each morning. It's a really good habit. It's one that really warms my heart. She gives me a hug. Now, I know that might not seem worthy of special mention. I mean, after all, daughters are supposed to give their dads a hug, aren't they? Yes. Yes, they certainly are. But what makes this special is that for three years, I've been hugging my baby girl, much to her disapproval and protest. But now, each morning, she hugs me back. But obviously, our relationship won't stay there. I don't want that to be the, the sum total of our relating to each other. The better we know each other, the deeper our relationship will become. It'll go beyond just her name, her date of birth, her favourite colour. I'll get to know what really makes her happy, what makes her smile I'll get to know how to encourage her. I'll get to know what upsets her. I'll get to know how she receives and gives love. I'll get to know how to help her flourish as a person. But for that sort of relationship to be possible, for my daughter to even be able to embrace me, as her father, first I need to be there. I need to be more than just a picture on the wall or a voice behind a door. I need to be there in person. I also need to show her that I can be embraced. I need to get down to her level. And to open up my arms. What Paul points out is that that is what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. In Jesus, God, God made himself known. And he showed that he knows exactly what it's like for us to be us. He showed himself to be more than a God with laws, more than a voice within a cloud. In Jesus, God showed that he could be embraced. He came down to our level and he opened up his arms. I think that should get us out of bed in the morning. It should be the desire that drives us throughout the day. 
We can know God because God first knows us. And he has made himself known to us. Let me ask, how would you assess your relationship with God now? Do you know Jesus? Have you embraced him? I think it's safe to say that none of us here would say that they're living in their perfected resurrection bodies. Am I right? Paul wasn't. And in his humble assessment, he found that it gave him one thing to do. It gave him a focused pursuit. Verses 13 to 14. Brothers, I do not consider that I have, I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I think it's important to say that effort is not for merit, but it is the expected activity of those who claim to know Christ. Here we sit in the ongoing reality of knowing Jesus Christ in Paul's life. He says he presses on. Pressing on has two elements for Paul. Firstly, he has an appropriate view of the past. He says, forgetting what lies behind. Now, Paul's encounter with Jesus, the risen Jesus Christ, on the road to Damascus, changed his life. But the reality of that change is that Paul did not make a tent and pitch it on the Damascus road. He didn't make himself comfortable there. Now, I think we all like to be Comfortable, don't we? We've got comfy shoes, comfy pants, comfy chairs. I think it's fair to say, let your, clothe, your clothing be comfortable, not your Christianity. As Don Carson says, Christians should never be satisfied with yesterday's grace. Let me say that again. Christians should never be satisfied with yesterday's grace. But not only does Paul have an appropriate view of the past, he also has a productive view of the present and the future. It's he uses the, the athletic imagery that he's famous for. He says, straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize. And when I think of an athlete straining, I think of the world's strongest man competitor. Actually, the 2019 Queensland Strongest Man event was held in 
beer while yesterday? No, I didn't compete. Let me just... 2020 is coming though. You know. But I find the events fascinating. And when I was growing up, my brother and I would often, whenever it was on the TV, we would get there. I mean, these guys picking up a car only to put it back down again. Stacking stone balls on top of barrels. Not just one, but they'd keep going. Pulling a truck or carrying a ridiculously heavy load as far as they could. And the prevailing image of the strongman for me was that of a a big bloke wearing a wheat mix t-shirt. His face is red, his veins are popping out from his forehead and his neck. It's an image of someone who is truly straining. I mean, what they are willing to do to be considered the strongest man in the world is phenomenal. And they're not satisfied with how much they've lifted or how far they've carried until they have reached their goal. Strong men press on. They don't rest on their past achievements. If the task is to pull a truck or a car 20 metres, they don't unhitch after two and celebrate. I'm done, yeah, aren't I the greatest? No, they press on. They don't lift one stone. They They lift the remaining stones. Strong men press on. They press on until they reach their goal. They don't give up until they have. And neither should we. Those who are getting to know Christ don't just unhitch after the introduction. Knowing God is a lifelong pursuit. We are not to rest on our past achievements, our past passions and past realities of God in our life. The Christian life should be an ongoing testimony of deepening knowledge of Jesus. For Paul, what that looks like is found in verse 10 of chapter 3. He says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him In his death. See, it doesn't so much matter if knowing Jesus made a difference in our lives in the past. I think the question that the world is asking Christianity today isn't so much, did it work? But does it work? That is the question our teenagers are asking. That is the question our workmates are asking. 
That is the question our school friends are asking. That is the question our neighbours are asking. And this is the question our lives need to be answering. Does it work? Our lives answer that question when our kids see that getting to know Jesus is an ongoing reality in their parents' lives. That they haven't unhitched. They are still pursuing. Our lives answer that question when people around us see the words of the Bible being studied and lived out day by day. Our lives answer that question when our workmates see that we don't think of ourselves more highly than we ought, but with humility because of a humble Lord. We serve the needs of others. Our lives answer that question when our schoolmates see that we value people over popularity or performance. That we would rather defend the weak than degrade them. Does knowing Jesus change your life? Does it still work? I think it would be a a shame if our testimony of the power of God in our life only ever stayed in the past. It'd be truly sad if followers of Jesus could no longer speak of their knowledge of Jesus and the power of his resurrection as a present reality for them. Does that hit home for you? Would you say that knowing Jesus is more of a past reality than a present one? Some signs of this, some signs that the reality of knowing Jesus is in the past, might be that if you were to give your testimony, it wouldn't include any events of the last three, four or five years. Maybe you, you find yourself fighting to recreate the good old days. The good old days when you were satisfied. Songs are great for doing this. Songs can take us back to a time when we loved Jesus deeply, when our knowledge of him was a growing and present reality for us. Another sign might be that issues that aren't primary gospel issues start to take an unhealthy priority in our thinking, in what we talk about with those inside and outside of the church. And those are just some examples from my life. 
Maybe you can think of some others for you. And a time of self-reflection such as this needs to be followed by a word of encouragement. And Paul offers that to us in verses 15 and 16. He gives us one path to follow, speaking of a continued practice. He says, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Paul encourages his brothers and sisters to stay on track, to stick to the trajectory you're on, to hold true to the life of faith in Jesus Christ. And I think we could summarise this as saying mature Christians are maturing Christians. And Paul is not under any illusions that the path of a deepening relationship with Jesus is a smooth one. If anything, verses 10 and 13 of Philippians chapter 3 point to a life of suffering and strenuous work. More like the soft sandy beach than the the nice smooth flat bike path. And how we long for the smooth, easy, concrete surface sometimes in our faith. It's a real temptation to instead know a God where life is easy, where you're feeling like you're walking on top of life rather than sinking in it. Where instead of suffering and strain, there is pleasure and praise. Absolutely, that is a tempting path to tread. But the problem with this path is that it's not the one that Jesus walked. The God we will get to know on the smooth past, the smooth path won't perfect us for eternity. It will pollute us with prosperity. We need to guard against that, friends. Paul summarised the road Jesus walked in Philippians 2. Speaking of Jesus in verse 6, he says, Though he was, he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross." Jesus didn't walk the easy path, friends. His was one of suffering and strain. And if we are to know Jesus in the reality of an ever-deepening relationship, we need to hold true to that path. The path 
that he has set us on. So, how are you going with your getting to knowing? Make a humble assessment. Are you there yet? God has made himself known. Have you come to know him personally? Don't be stuck celebrating past achievements, past passions, and past realities of God in your life. Engage in a focused pursuit of an ever-deepening relationship with Jesus. Now and into the future. Friends, let's stick to the path that Jesus walks. Share with him in his sufferings through the power of his resurrection. Amen. We're going to have a time of communion now. So if you're helping with that, if you could come forward, that would be great. And while they they come, I just invite the rest of us to reflect on what we've talked about this morning. Just quieten our hearts before God. See, a relationship with Jesus begins with death. A death that deals with that which saw us disapproving of God and protesting against his position of honour and authority in our life. It's a death that brings new life and ongoing relationship with the eternal God. And so it's a death we remember. It's a death we should all remember on a daily basis. It's a death that we're going to remember now around the communion table. There are two elements here, the bread and the juice, representing the death of our Saviour. It also represents 